Welcome to One Step Better, the podcast from Works. We're tackling topics to give you insight on a practical level to help your employees thrive in your organization and to help you become one step better every day towards being the leader that you want to be. Now, let's kick it over to the Works team. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the One Step Better podcast. I'm your host, Mike Schaefer. And today we have a special treat. Joining us today is DJ Naylor with Celtic Crossing here in the Memphis area. DJ, I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We also have Matt Patrick, Patrick Accounting and Works. He's been on our podcast multiple times. You guys know him. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about your story, how Celtic Crossing came to be. We've been working with you guys for almost six years now, going on six years. You don't know this, but I came on board about two months before Celtic Crossing came on board, and you guys were one of the first clients that I actually helped with the conversion process, installation process on. And so we've kind of grown up here together a little bit here at Patrick Accounting. One of the things that we always like to do in, in the what we call startup stories is really get an understanding of how you decided to, to go out on your own, be a business owner. It takes a lot of guts to make that decision. So tell us a little bit about your story. So I actually went to college in Ireland. I did a degree in business in the University College Dublin. And I did a master's, a graduate diploma, a.k.a. a master's of similarity in the University of Limerick. And I emigrated to the U.S. in 94. And people always ask me what date. I was the day before O.J. was driving the Bronco down the highway. Yeah, so, welcome to America. Yeah, yeah that was like, uh, I was a, so that was my welcome to the, to the United States. And then I, I always knew with my family, I'm one of 12 children. And I came out of a small business so in the West of Ireland. So you're not Catholic, I bet. No. Yeah, very much so. Very <laughs> much so. No TVs. And yeah. um, my oldest brother was instrumental in sort of forcing me to get on the plane and go. Basically, Ireland's too small for you to go. There's enough of us here. It was also a tough time in Ireland. 94 was right before the Celtic Tiger. Economy wasn't great. So my mother had put me into a, a lottery for a green card. I was fortunate enough to get one that required you to be in the States by a certain date. and that particular date I arrived the day you, before. So I was very fortunate. Friends, family, anybody here? Or you kind of I, ha- I had some long lost relatives in New Jersey, but I had a lot of former UCD graduates or sorry, UCD graduates yeah. living in Boston. So there was an alumni in Boston. So there was, yes. Is that where you moved to first, Boston? I, I moved to Boston. What part yes. of Boston were you in? I started actually, believe it or not, in the North End, oh, which yeah. is the Italian oh, district. Yeah, absolutely. Giacomo's, my favorite, one of my favorite restaurants in the world. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, there's an Irish pub that I had strong connections to, to my hometown. And my first night in that particular pub, a guy, one of their regulars was moving to Atlanta. And he goes, how long are you here for? I said, I'm here for a while. He goes, why don't you take care of my apartment in the North End? I'm uh, like, okay. sure. <laughs> and that was my, my first touch of good fortune, the leprechauns lock, locking out, <laughs> locking out <laughs> for leprechauns, me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah no so rent. I got here in 94. And worked at an, a nonprofit in Cambridge, and then I ended up in Thompson Financial, and then I ended up at KPMG. And I got hired on in KPMG by a good friend of mine who I graduated UCD with. So I was at KPMG for 10 years. On the consulting side? or I was on the uh, IT side. Remember, okay. they, yep. they, yep. they spun out a whole yep. IT side, and, and it ended up becoming Bearing Point. Yep. Well, this is prior to Bearing Point. It's kind of like AC Anderson Consulting. I was at Anderson at the that, same time. Very, very similar. And so I ended up doing two years as a, we called ourselves, what, road warriors. But I always knew I wanted to go and work for myself. And so I ended up in Memphis. Long story short, soccer brought me here from Boston. And it became an easier place to get around the country. I was going to the West Coast a lot. So Memphis was a little easier than Boston on a Monday morning, shall we say. So my soccer connections got me here. And then lo and behold, when I got here, I was like, 
almost had bought into the real estate business in Boston. And I'm so glad I didn't because when I got here and I started running the numbers, I was like, <laughs> this is <laughs> very different. Yep. This was the place to own real estate. And I quickly became, I, I kind of studied it in, in, in a large way in Boston, but I had never really obviously pulled the trigger. So when I got here, I, I got here in, to Memphis in 2000. And then my first purchase was 01. So I was only here a year and I bought a place in Midtown. The swings in Boston are bigger and the prices are higher, but you have a lot more upside, but a lot more down. Yeah. What did they say? The bigger the, the bigger you are, the harder you fall? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So. so we haven't talked about this. My sister-in-law, she played soccer at Lambeth. My wife played soccer at Huntington College. A lot of Irish ties there, though. Their coach was Irish. And there's a lot of Memphis Irish soccer guys. There just has been over the years from the schools around town. Do you remember her coach's name? I think I do. I want to say, I want to say it starts with maybe a Jimmy. Yeah, I knew all the Lampet guys. So yeah, when I was yeah. visiting here, 98, all 99, those guys, all those guys used to come yep. back to Memphis to party. The Rhodes coaches are there now. Andy was my wife's soccer club coach, and that's how she got to play college. They all knew each other. So Yeah, and just a word out that I have the height of respect for soccer coaches. They take it from all sides. In particular, the parents who want their kids to start first <laughs> yeah. on the first team. You know that's what I mean? That's every parent. Uh, I, I find that I have a lot of respect in every, every sport. sport. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a big fraternity I'm very familiar with now with the pub because the pub really is the soccer-watching pub of Memphis. So yeah. I have a, a, a great respect and great time for all the coaches when they come through. We see them quite a lot. So you guys are out in kind of the Midtown area. When uh, Memphis 901 came in, two, is it, I think it's two years ago now, going on their second season. Did that have an impact with your pub? Yes, it did. 901 FC, obviously they're downtown. They're at AutoZone Park. So we're not directly Super close, impacted yeah. with their crowds to the game and pre-gaming and all that. But we have seen an uptick in the interest level in people where they're heading to the game. They'll come to Midtown. Some people actually come to Midtown Park and then commute from there down to the game. Obviously, we're in a, the midst of what we're in right now. So we are now sponsors. We're the, we sponsor the halftime program. We've done some meet and greets at the pub. I feel like I know them all very personally now. And they're a great bunch and they'll really help soccer. Like Tim Howard himself really put soccer on the map in 2014 at the World Cup. Yeah. And now he's going to do it even more so in Memphis. Yeah, it's really cool that he's part of the Memphis club being a, a Germantown guy. And so now he's, he's going to be part of that, that club specifically. That's yeah, cool. he, he adds a different element completely. Everybody wants to succeed. He only knows one way. You get a lot of Saturday morning viewership for the Premier League and all that. Yeah, so the, the Premiership kicks back off tomorrow, which is usually a huge weekend for us. Obviously, we're, that, we're at 50%. We're predominantly outdoor. Let most people want to sit outdoor. And normally, we treat the, the Premiership coming back with a large party. We do yeah. a, a buffet, yeah. and complimentary buffet. We have to pass on that this year. But we're very excited with the Premiership coming back. That's great. So did you come from a line of entrepreneurs, business owners, or was this, was this like ingrained in you growing up? What made yeah. you really want to go out on your own? My father worked at a local paper in the 50s called The Western People. He left there to start his own paper, okay, a small newspaper that failed. And then he left that, that and joined the fire department and started a printing shop. Me and all my brothers and a lot of my sisters came through the print shop. So... Various capacities, various different... I started at 11 sweeping the floor. I used to go to the print shop after school on a Tuesday and Thursday night to do some jobs on, on the Heidelberg Press because that's what I got trained at young before I went off to offset printing. And my father would pay me 
at the end of the week for the hours work. So you'd submit your hours even at 11, 12, 13. So I grew up in the entrepreneurial world. I learned a lot from my father. The one thing I learned from my father is if you're going to do a day's work, make sure people paid you for it. <laughs> one thing my dad wasn't great at is making people pay, pay for, for work done. He was, yeah. you He's know, we used to man. let things go 90, 120 days. And the richest guy in town could owe my father. He'd be down the street buying a brand new car, but he could owe my dad 10 grand. And I, I, I never found that acceptable. Yeah, and so I used smart. to tell my dad, hey, could I get the accounts? You want to take over the, the AR, yeah. I will go and collect. <laughs> I'll have no issue knocking on a door and saying, hey, you owe us this money. And so it was kind of ingrained in me. Yeah, that's, that, that's an awesome story. Yeah, I love yeah. that. So yeah. when you got to Memphis, you got into the real estate game pretty heavily. Celtic Crossing has been, I guess, over time. Yeah. Uh, Celtic Crossing has been around for 15-ish years. Is that right? Yeah, we just set up right on our 15th anniversary, June 2nd. So we started in 05. Basically was a collection of people, predominantly the, everybody other than me came out of Dan McGuinness's downtown. So we had a group of people that wanted to leave and do something, but they didn't have any capital. And of course, I had just sold a property at the time and done very well with the sale. Basically, someone knocked on my door saying, hey, I want to buy your apartment building at Avalon and Poplar, and here's what I'm going to pay. And I'm like, I'll take it. I, yeah. <laughs> Are you feeling okay? Yeah, of course. Everything's for sale. So word got around that I, and so I ended up becoming the largest investor by a long shot. Over time, it clearly wasn't, um, it was difficult. I mean, it was a marriage of four or five people with sort of different ideas. And so I've, I've had a lot of people say to me that when I took it over completely in 2011, the place sort of straightened out a lot, that it became more consistent. It became, you knew when we were open, you knew we were closed, you knew what we were serving. Where before then, it was kind of a little bouncy. It was a little sort of, I, I guess, um, you know, me and my wife are very proud of the way it's gone since Jamie's pretty much come on board 2010 when we, you know, we started together. She's intimate in the running of the place as well, even expecting twins on Monday. Uh, She's yeah, probably yeah. all working on something right now. You guys are a very good yin and yang, I think, from my perspective. Similar to me and my wife, I think, when it comes to being in the business together. I mean, she is very much a... You are the face of the pub a lot and the energy of the pub. She probably handles a lot of the nitty-gritty that you don't love so much. Yes. I don't think the place would be open if the nitty-gritty would <laughs> get done. Correct. Your licenses, your ABCs. She makes your, sure we yeah. all stay in check. Us yeah, too, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. do her, yeah. but she does us as well, which you love. Yeah, yeah she, she truly is amazing. Uh, she's got a different uh, outlook on the world, and she always takes a step back. And I would say, if anything... She set us up now sort of primed for maybe a second location. You know, it'd be madness to go and pull the trigger Probably on not days today. like, not mm-hmm. today, but it's certainly something you could think about. Something looking long-term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So everybody always has a story about, you know, why, so in your case, why it was a pub over in the Midtown area that you decided to open versus a full-service restaurant going all the way out to East Memphis. So what was it about that location specifically? Your friends had said, hey, there's some money in his pockets. Let's see if we can go hit him up on it. Why exactly the pub feel in that area? Well, you know, at the time we had, we owned the Anderton Seafood Building on Madison. And that was, was my focus was, let's do the pub one side and let's do a really nice seafood restaurant, maybe bring Mr. Anderton back in some capacity to retirement. So Against the background of that, one night I went over to what was called the Glass Onion with my good friend John, and the moment we walked in the door, we were like, yes, this is it. The minute we walked in the door now, I will say this, we sat down, 
20 minutes passed before anybody <laughs> came near us. I remember, I remember getting a beer, and when the guy came over to get a beer, I said, give me two, because it was, took 20 <laughs> for this one. Just give me two beers. And, and I, but when I looked around, I said, yep, this is it. We'll turn this into an Irish pub. And that was the first night we ever walked in there, and that's kind of the feeling I feel, I feel like you need, that first gut feeling when you walk in and go, Oh, yeah. You this just knew it. exactly what it was at it that time. It was the right time. size. It can be busy without being packed. It has a good atmosphere. It doesn't need, it's not a huge space to, to, to keep. has a great outdoor space that we've significantly improved over yep. the years. Yeah, you have. It ticks a lot of the boxes. Yeah, and it, looks, it looks beautiful today. With the, you guys did all that outdoor deck, the whole patio seating. And that, and that probably, once again, goes back to my wife's involvement. She, they, they, you know, we hired an architect to do that outdoor covered space. And he, to this day, Bruce is like, hey, I, I signed the papers, but I didn't do any of this design. Your wife, <laughs> but you your still wife sent me a bill. Hmm? Yeah, but he still sent you a bill. Yeah, yeah, he did. He, but it, it came out awesome. Our, our curb appeal is phenomenal now. I, I actually park across the road all the time now. So I can just look at it because the, the shrubbery, the flowers, the, you know, we just redid the, the, the patio again with a very Celtic theme. It was something that I've been trying to do for 15 years. I knew it was going to take three weeks. Pavers? Everything gone. Yeah. We bulldozed out. We came back with Celtic knots, tree of life, Celtic borders. I mean, it really is. You'd be hard-pressed to find what we've done on the patio in Ireland. And it has a beautiful welcome on the front steps saying, Cape Milifalcia, which is Gaelic for... 100,000 welcomes. And that's what we mean in Ireland. Is every, everybody is very, very welcome, even if we've never met you before. It's immersed in the Celtic. Celtic Crossing is a perfect name because it is. It's, it's immersed in that culture. Um, yeah. Obviously, coming from you and your background, it's, it's going to be that way. Yes, it, is. It, it has to come from me down to all my staff. That, and, you know, when you, if I read all the reviews, obviously, but that's the impression I get back from our guests that send reviews that say, Hey, very welcoming, very friendly, and that's got to be first and foremost. Before they ever touch any of our food or drinks, friendly atmosphere. And I I think we're, you know, you're always striving to be better, but I feel like in a good place right now. That's great. So where do you see yourself going? You talked a little bit about the, you know, it's always interesting to think about a possible second location right now with COVID going on, everything's affected. What do you see it turning into? Well, I mean, short term, we just want to like get through the next few months, right? So we want to figure out what the best formula is to maybe not lose money, maybe make a little bit of money. <laughs> and I feel like we've what been- What do you we've, mean? We've worked, That's so crazy. Oh. We, we've worked well on that. I mean, it really has changed your mindset on how to operate. So we're operating in a limited capacity. We're not doing full hours. Our full hours is anywhere from 105 to 120 hours. Right now, we're between 50 and 55. So we're only really running on 50% capacity in terms of labor. That being said, our, our numbers are okay. Looking out into the future, short term, get through this winter. Right now, we're talking a lot about more outdoor open air seating that's heated that allows people to sit outside. So we're trying to be creative and inventive around that. Going into the future, I'd like to do last year's, um, both last year's sales and profitability number for like <laughs> the next five years. Yeah. That would be great. Obviously, we're going to have to rebuild back to that. So build it all back. I really would love to do a second location. I mean, I'd like to do it well. I'd like to do it where we pick a spot and we potentially maybe are not have an investor. We don't really need one. But if we did, we would buy everything like we did for the recent renovation in 15. We'd buy it all from Ireland. So very authentic. And, you know, maybe have a few extra spots in a space that you can do other things with, like whiskey tasting, like private tastings, like 
keep a family friendly, a kids playroom area. Obviously, those sort of ideas are right now not front and center with the pandemic. What are some of the ideas you're having with, you say outdoor, kind of being more creative with your outdoor space? What are you doing with that? Well, you know, we were talking about this the last few days. So we have a beautiful sort of cathedral covered space. And I, I truly believe that people like sitting outside right now because they feel safer. Well, in the wintertime, we drop those curtains down. It effectively becomes an indoor space. So we're trying to see if we can navigate keeping that outdoor space there so the heating has to be conducive to, it's still an outdoor space. You're going to drop the curtains to 10 feet, 8 feet, or 6 feet, but it still remains an outdoor space for the comfort of your guests. Yep. But then you have the heat that comes in. And then we're looking at other options on the other side, potentially tenting it, but keeping the side. Where the little, like the three or four parking spots are behind the back side Well, of the bar. no, I was talking more, we, we call it the covered side, which is that cathedral yep. over the bar outside. And then we have the uncovered side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We okay. might cover the, the uncovered side. One of the things I saw that was actually pretty interesting, another restaurant did, was they had they really oversized umbrellas. And they end up putting little heaters underneath them. See, I was arguing for that this yeah, week. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Because yeah. the umbrellas will trap the heat. Yeah, and, and yet you have enough heat there to keep people comfortable while they're sitting. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good ideas. And then, of course, we're living in a world right now where there's a lot of new ideas. Yeah. So, I mean, look what's just happened. I mean. I'll be honest. I, I've used your guys' as example. The virtual whiskey tastings during COVID were brilliant. You know, you think you could have done them three or four times a week if you wanted to. Probably sold them all out. You sold out most of them, I think. We did, yeah, yeah. It's... um. And the thing about doing them, yes, you could do them on a frequent basis, but I put so much effort so into, much <laughs> into, I have to know everything about the whiskey, the distiller, the dating all the way back. And this one, this goes back to 1609, this tier column that's in front of me, okay. folks. It goes back to 1609. We talk about the Ulster plantation that planted his grandparents in Northern Ireland from Scotland. And ultimately, he ended up buying into a distillery in Derry. That's so, so crazy. If you don't know what the Ulster Plantation is, it's akin to the Virginia Plantation, yeah. where the English use it as a methodology to plant people into areas so, so as they could spread the, the English way, the Protestant way of yeah. life into other countries. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if you have not done a whiskey tasting with Celtic Crossing, you're missing out in a big way. You're I still mean, doing them virtually. So you have yeah, I did this. a hybrid last Thursday that was probably the best one we've ever done. We did the Tyrconnell Madeira cask as the first one, the sister of this. And then we did a Glenlivet, um, delicious Glenlivet 15-year-old French oak. Beautiful. Actually, to be honest, if that bottle is sitting next to the 18 you asked me earlier, I'd probably pick the 15. And then we finished with a Belfast whiskey that I had, that I, I, I collected a few bottles off called Dunville. It's really not available in the States. So we did three collected. Heart- yeah, we could three whiskeys hard to get, but we had the Glenlivet Ambassador come on from Miami. We had people on from Seattle, New York, Palo Alto, California, Louisville, Nashville, and Little Rock. Well, we have a lot of fun. So we did one. I sent some to, my, to some of our Paso buddies, and then we had some that more. That was that one where my power went out. Yeah, that was interesting. You still did it. Hey, that makes it sweaty. Power through. That, we've, we've had some issues like that. We're doing these things. You made it through it. It was great. <laughs> that, that it was, was only five minutes late. It was that, great. Was a, that was a bumpy one. So what it happened was great, I'm all set up in my house and the front bell rings, which goes to Apple and blah, blah. My wife walks in and goes, oh, the power is about to be turned off. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's, uh, it's our neighbor. He says uh, they're down the street right now. They're shutting off all the street. And I knew the DJ was doing a tasting. So I came right down to tell you. I'm like, and I'm like it's five I'm- to seven. Time to go to the bar. <laughs> yeah. So I pack everything as quick as I can. We dash into the car as quickly as we can to Celtic. We run in and we set up and I'm like. It was perfect. 
It was sweaty. Yeah, that's right. We've <laughs> yeah. had the same issue. We did a webinar, and right before it, we could not figure out how to get the sound to work. So we only had a couple hundred people waiting on us. I'm going, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We're going to be on any minute. <laughs> In today's world, with everything going, you know, technology, with, with the webinars and everything being on Zoom anyway, people all, all over the place are having those same issues. Yeah, where, we're, we're not the only ones. It doesn't seem like it's working. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like the setting, but the last week the setting was 20, 25 people on the patio, me sitting there, I had a very large speaker so they could hear any questions asked. And then the, the ambassador from Glenlivet came in on the TV. So everything yeah. was broadcasted on the TVs. Everything could be heard on the patio. And then we had about 30, 35 people on the Zoom call all over the country. That's awesome. Particularly in Memphis. And everything was clear. And we had the technology right. The, there was no interruption in the, in, the, in the cast. And I've had them too. Oh, my God, I'm not getting any sound. Yeah. Well, you know. Turn up your volume. Yeah. 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 I lo- I, what I liked about it was, I, what I enjoyed about I like history. The whiskey itself is great. It all tastes like high-octane motor fuel a little bit. But I like the history. I like to hear you talk about it. I like to hear your passion about it. And I like just to see, and I, the one we were on, you had the distillery gentleman. And oh, you were the, yeah. the, French, the French one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. We did uh, both his blend and we did a single malt afterwards. Uh, uh, Charles Decor from yeah. the Cognac region. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. That, was, and that's his that's the new world came, we live in. We live in that world right through. now. Yeah. Yep. You know? We traveled to Europe a couple times over the last few years and we always do these context tours. And context is now doing virtual tours. So you can do, if you want to do a, a history tour of Paris right now, you can do it online. It's not the same. Not the but, same. Yeah. But it was fun. <laughs> we we, uh, we were a day behind you in your, uh, last time we were in Ireland. That's right. Yeah. You yeah. were there. At, we were there like, oh, we were there yesterday. Well, we missed you then. Well, we were, like, we were trying to chase you around the, around the island on your way back home. Yeah. You were going back up north at that point to go see your family, I think. Now, you were in Killarney, right? We were down in Killarney. But we, you guys were down. We were in Kilkenny. Kilkenny. We were going to Kilkenny, and you guys were leaving that day to go up north to where your family That's is. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so we so. ended up going all the way up. We stayed our last nights were in Galway. And yeah. so, yeah. Which is pretty close. Yeah, you would live yeah. a little bit farther north. About 70 miles further north. Yeah. 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 It was beautiful. We, we drove 1,100 miles that week in wow. Ireland. We drove all over. Yeah. We didn't go as far north. We didn't go up to Northern Ireland, but we did a, everything in the South Rings. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a beautiful country. I mean, there's, it really is a, a beautiful country. I love going because I'm transposed now from being sort of a complete Irish guy to a sort of an Irish American. When I go home, they, they say, here comes the Yank. You've really? lived here you know? longer than there. Uh, yeah, I just crossed over from that last year. The dark where side. My, where my, I spent more of my life in the United States than I'd spent in Ireland. But when I go home, they're like, oh, Lord, here comes the Yank. <laughs> yeah. And so I have to remind myself, stay humble, stay quiet. <laughs> don't even mention anything about anything. No don't politics. mention a thing. No, no politics. politics. And don't mention a you, you got to stay humble. Yeah. <laughs> or they this. will remind you very quickly. Every person we met when we were there asked us about the president. Every single person. Oh, you're from America? What do you think about Donald Trump? What do you think about this? Yeah. It was like instant. Yeah. I'm like, nope, no comments. No comments. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, please. Yes. I liked his golf course I saw in your, on your island. So I like to hear the story. Every owner has gone through this. I want to hear about the best case scenarios that have happened over the years, but also thinking back, what was some of the hair pulling moments you've kind of run through over the years of, man, why, did I, why am I doing this still? Everybody has it. Every owner has it. Yeah, I'll talk about the good stuff, and then hopefully some of the, the darker <laughs> moments might come to life. But uh, <laughs> Um, I would say the aligning the place with soccer was a decision we made in the early days. So if you think of the team we had originally at 05, um, would have been uh, Gareth O'Sullivan, former coach of CBU, played at Memphis, is still on the all-time charts. Gareth and myself were two of the owners, and we really decided in 06. The World Cup of 06 was in Germany. 
And soccer wasn't big then, but we decided, you know what? We're going to embrace it. So we're going to have a couple of items on the menu that are traditional to Germany. We're going to have the schedule of games on the table mat that's on every table. When people walk in, we'll uh, advertise all the games we're showing. We'll make an effort. And it really sort of, by the end of the tournament, which takes roughly about 30 to 35 days, by the end of the tournament, we were the place to be to watch the World Cup in Germany. Then uh, moving on to 2010, obviously, we had South Africa, which was amazing. I actually used to drive down to Nashville to a South African butcher to pick up some South African food, bring it back, and here's our South African menu, portion of the menu. Onwards to 14 to Brazil. A couple of Brazilians are living in, are working at Saint Jude, FedEx St. Jude. We decide to uh, engage them. Can you come in and help us map out some traditional Brazilian food? And we did the same thing this past World Cup in Russia. So soccer alignment with soccer food-wise. We didn't go, and we learned this quickly, you can't do traditional Irish cuisine. Yeah. It has to be a sort of a pseudo-Irish-American or yeah. British-American. So, you know, fish and chips, we say yeah. you find them in Irish pubs, but it's really an English dish, right? right. And so that has become our mainstream bestseller, has been since 15 years. Moments that you want to forget about, the, the dark days. Well, I mean, the darkest day ever probably is the, this past St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you're revving up the engine. You're ready, ready to go for right a big that was Yeah, that, St. Patrick's Day was just after everything was like, we're closing down the world. Yeah, the world started closing on Friday. So New York shut down on Friday. I did a huge whiskey tasting Friday night. Uh, we had over 100 guests supposed to arrive into the back tent for what was called the Whiskey of the World, where we had 85 whiskeys from like 14 countries, and it was strictly premium whiskey. So, you know, the, the obvious shelf stuff didn't make it. Your Jacks, your Jemisons, they, weren't, they didn't make the cut. Off the 100, I think about 80 showed up, but you could sense that night that oh, so the world starting, was starting this, to... People were coming real. realizing, I'm not going to see you for a while. Come Saturday, we had a bit of a turnout Saturday, uh, try to manage that. We basically, by Tuesday, which was St. Patrick's Day, the world was coming to a screeching halt. That was a tough day. The next day then, of course, I left that night around 11 o'clock. I was like, that's got to be the worst day I've ever done in business. And then I realized, you know what? I think tomorrow's going to be worse. I have to, <laughs> I have to lay everybody off. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So there was a, there was the, that's the dark times, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I signed up for this. God, I wish I just had a nine-to-five. Some days. But um, we decided even when we were laying them off, we were going to handle it correctly. Hey, speak to every one of them in person. Come on in. Do your paperwork on site. We'll provide terminals. We'll provide you advice. We're going to feed you a couple of times a week. You'll come and get your food. You can't stay. You get your bag. You come in and you get fed. You live. If you get another job and don't come back to us, you will still feed you. And, and we did that for all through April, through May. And of course, then uh, come the end of May, we weren't first to jump right back in. We were a little nervous about reopening. Did, we, we wanted to get it right and the timing right and our place right and get the patio right. So we decided we want to be open for our 15th anniversary. So we opened June 2nd, the anniversary is the 4th. Didn't do a big celebration. Originally, I had planned to bring in a U2 cover band that I've been wow. talking to in Atlanta. U2. You're bringing U2. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be U2. Uh, but he looked, they look like U2. They're really awesome. I saw them in person, and I was on with them about them coming in for a weekend yeah. and to celebrate our 15th, and obviously that went, that went to the So maybe it would be the 16th. 
I think Sweet 16 sounds nice. 15 yeah, plus one. Yeah, that's so right. we'll get a whiskey made for us maybe, and then we'll, um, and we'll have a big party next year, you know? So I don't know. While this is over, I think there's going to be a lot of drinking to be done. Yeah. <laughs> so, people are going to be ready to come back. One thing I want to point out, you, you mentioned a couple of times, the word that comes to mind for me is authenticity in everything that you say. You mentioned, I'm going to do German food, but I'm not just going to go find Google a German menu and just try to copy that. I'm going to Nashville to pick up food from South Africa. I'm going to talk to the kids at St. Jude about how, like, teach us how to do this right. Your remodel was stuff from Ireland, not yeah. just stuff that looks like it's from Ireland. The way that you talk about your whiskey, the research that you do for it, authenticity is a big deal to you. It seems like you don't want to just present this this image. You it's want to be that of image. an Irish pub. It is an Irish pub that just yeah. happens to be in Memphis. All and, around. And, and, and I, to be honest, like I really think if I walk into an Irish pub anywhere, the first thing that will explain to me that it's uh, more authentically Irish is when I look at what the food offering is. If the food offering is chicken wings and a burger, then it's probably not Irish owned, or it's certainly not Irish owned. Like not operated. Be. Yeah. Um, so I, I always feel like the food will be the driving factor as to how you... Because anybody can serve a shot of whiskey or a pint of beer if you can get it right at the back end with the food. And that's got to be one of my proudest moments. Last year on November 15th, we beat our sale, food sales record from the previous year with all one and a half months to spare. And that for me is... Like that's one of the, that that's one I feel really really good about. Why is that level of authenticity important to you? Because I really feel like if you're not going to get on a plane and go to Ireland and you come to Celtic, I want it to feel like you're tasting a piece of Ireland. Ireland's on display, all right. If you want, and so when you come to Celtic, if you sit down and have a shepherd's pie, I want you to when you taste it and eat it go, or if you try our soda bread, or if you try our bread pudding, or if you try our whatever it might be, the coddle, the uh, the gnocchi. The corned beef, and we make our own corned beef in-house. Everything's got to feel like that you've gone, I've taken you a piece of Ireland to you. Because not everybody can get on a plane. In fact, I would say probably somewhere between 2 and 5% of our guests have ever been to Ireland. You know what I mean? And we don't sell ourselves to the, the foreign population that lives here. We sell ourselves to Americans, locals. We try to be a local place. And you only build up, build up local business by it getting them to come back on a regular, regular, regular basis. And that's treating them as they should be treated. I love that part of your story because the, the passion that you talk with is evident in being able to see you, but hear you and, and knowing a little bit about the background and having worked with you and your wife over the past you know, multiple years. Everything about you is genuine. Like the accent is not fake. You know? <laughs> no, my accent's gone. <laughs> I, I, I was talking to my nephew this morning. I'm like, that's it's an accent. It's not gone. Yeah, yeah, definitely but, uh, not. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, like I said, 25 years been drawn down. So, you know, yeah. but um, no, I, I feel very strongly about that whole part of the business. And like, I got this from my dad. My dad was Protestant in 1951 on Friday night, a four hour service, converted to Catholic to marry my mother. And I always say, like, I got my drink inside. You did that inside. so you could have 12 kids. I got my drink inside from my, my Catholic side, and I got my hardworking entrepreneurial side from my father's Protestant side. And I'm not being unreasonable to either side, but my dad used to only do things and do them right. Yeah, that's awesome. And if he couldn't do them right, his, aunt, his thing would be to say, tell you, then don't bother doing it at all. Well, that has and, clearly been passed down to you. It caused a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For good or have for bad, all. right? Yeah, a little bit. So you obviously have built a wonderful team there. 
Yes. Uh, and you know, one of the things that we kind of talk through is all a lot of what we do is both on passion, but also our people. So tell me a little bit about kind of what you think are some reasons or how you've gotten to, what are some things you're looking for when you're trying to find the right teammates? You know, it's been really tough because obviously uh, we have a great team, but I feel like before the pandemic was the best team we ever had. And so, uh, quite a few haven't come back. Some haven't come back for one reason or another. Some changed industries. It, it has caused um, a major upheaval. But yes, getting back to everyone that works for us loves working for us. Okay, we, we try to treat our staff like family. All our managers, we try to make sure they have consecutive days off. We do not ask our managers to work seven days a week, unless it's the week before St. Patrick's Day or Cooper Young. So a manager that works for us will usually have a Wednesday and Thursday or Monday and Tuesday. And we try to stick to that. So we try to give them the time off. And then when they're there, then work hard when you're there. I'm not sure necessarily Matt would agree to oh, yeah. the principles there, but Oh yeah, I feel like if you give people the necessary we time off, we give everybody off, off a couple of days a week. Yeah, when then um, depends on which week we're talking. Yeah, yeah. Tax season not as <laughs> I much. I get off one day a year. Yeah, what um, more can I ask? We have unlimited PTO. <laughs> Just can't ever take it. No, we um we try to provide. I would love to get to where we're doing a bit more of um retention, uh, be it healthcare, be it some of the new perks where hey. It's hard in your business, though. If, 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 if I have 10 days where I'm on time to work, I get some points and I can cash in my points that are that type of program. Talk about a wheel. You know, just I'd like to do a bit more of that. But everyone, I try to take care of them. Uh, I feel like we do. Uh, one thing we've been doing since the pandemic or just started where I had, we had our third one, we've allowed our kitchen guys on one night a month to cook for everybody else. And so they get to be expressive. So we've done a Italian night. This past Monday, we did Mexican night. Front of the house, people pay $10 to sit in, and they end up with three or four courses from the kitchen. That's fun, allowing them to express themselves and have a bit of fun. I usually try to take what they do and then pair it to some wine for the dinner, white and red. So using some of my whiskey Somalia yeah. skills <laughs> and have a bit of fun with that. So, that's, so we're always thinking of new ways. Like I said, we have suffered a big upheaval. One of my bartenders, I haven't seen her since early March, and she's you know, scared to death about going out because she's one of those people High that's risk. sort of yeah. compromised, you know? Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. Well, kind of, we've, we've seen a lot of that too. And, and luckily, you know, a lot of the restaurants have that right now, but we know hopefully we're getting on the backside of this thing. What are some of the characteristics that you're looking at when you're, when you're going to hiring or when your team's hiring? What are kind of some things you're looking for and so that you know you're hiring somebody a good person, right team person for your team? Yeah, I mean, certainly... Um, I'm not one that if someone doesn't have a lot of experience to say no, because I like to think that we can train them our way. And then we've had a few hires where they've got a lot of experience. And, bad um, habit. A lot of bad habits sometimes. With and that. Sometimes they come with bad habits. And then sometimes if they're just willing to be, you can tell in an interview, but if they're willing to be listeners and learners versus they want to dominate the proceedings. So a lot has got to come, come down to the interview of, are they willing to do it our ways? Or do they think they know better? And you we want everybody to, to sort too. of roll in the same direction, roll the boat in the same direction, or, you know, or, or it doesn't work. We have, like, if you think the team I have right now, I've got a 2005 employee to this day, Alan Creasy, best bartender in Memphis, according to Memphis Most or the Commercial Appeal Awards or the Memphis Flyer Awards, what, five or six times in the last 10 years. I've got Eric, who's the GM now. He's been with me seven or eight years. 
and Eric just took over during the pandemic. Yep. I lost my GM during this. Yep. There, that's got to be one of the days when you when you lose your GM, you feel like, well, I heard I heard when he left, I was like, going, oh man, I like him. He's a good dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. and he changed. Yeah, wish him industry, new industry. Wish him the new best. New industry. Wish him the to best. Move on, but it still we, sucks. We, we wished him well, you know. <laughs> wished him well, but damn, I hope it doesn't work out. So you come back. I understand. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> sometimes. I, I think the restaurant business has the capability to burn people oh, yeah. out, but you they know, do. especially yeah. when it gets to management, you know. So we've got a, a fear. We've got an excellent staff right now. We are obviously running. I think our staff count right now is probably twenty-seven or twenty-four. Five, maybe normally when we're 35. Yeah. So we, we would like to hire back and get open for lunch, maybe come closer to the new year. Young, talented. Hungry. Willi- hungry. They're all the things. Yep. So you our know. things are hungry, humble, and smart. If they're those three things, we can probably figure out how to get you yeah. trained up and ready to go. Yeah. It's a yeah. book by uh, Patrick Lencioni that we kind of follow, Ideal Team Player. It's a great book. But yeah, that's the same, same characteristics every business is looking for. People that want to show up and try like hell is usually a good start. Good start. Yeah, Memphis does have, you know, some, and we won't get into it in too great a detail here, but the restaurant business does sometimes bring out the worst in terms of bad habits and bad after There's some bad owners habits. out there. There's some people that don't run great restaurants. There's some yeah. people that, you know, like you said, there's a lot of people that move around a lot. You can see that a lot in the yeah. industry. I mean, one of my pet peeves is if, if someone gives you notice, they deserve the right to work the notice. And I, it really... It, it really, really frustrates me and causes me like, like major frustration when I hear someone gave notice somewhere and we're told to leave. Immediately, yeah. I find that very frustrating because it brings it down on everybody. It brings the curtain down on everybody because then, then you have an employee who in his next job says, well, I gave two weeks notice at the last place and they told me to leave so I didn't get to work out my notice. So I lost all my, my income. For those two weeks while I was waiting to start my other job. So I'll just, I'll just leave you hanging because of the last guy. Yep. So you create this environment and it's prevalent in, in, in Memphis and it shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah we're, and if everybody would just allow people to work out their time or compensate them otherwise, then everybody that's our, would be That's off. our deal. We, we, if somebody gives us notice, we pretty much will tell them to go ahead and we'll just pay them out. Because in our world, we have... Some social security we issues, security issues that, yeah. and stuff we worry about. Sure. But same logic. Same logic. But we still we write the check. We don't want to. We, we got to write the check. You're, you're absolutely right. You it's yeah. an integrity issue. You, d- you deserved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're getting paid, they don't have an income problem. They're yeah. fine. They right. walk away happy. Right. right. I'm talking about that interruption that causes yeah. a, a, a shift in how people think. Yeah. For the next few I jobs. did the right thing and I got screwed because of it. Yeah. 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 And, and I tell them all, I said, you know, in my place, and this comes from my dad, if you give notice and you serve notice, you can come back in. If you don't give notice and leave us hanging. Don't ever come you know, back in my building. <laughs> you know what's going to happen someday, and it might be St. Patrick's Day. There's going to be a tap on your shoulder. Yeah. You probably need to leave. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And that, comes, that goes all the way back to my dad. It's yeah. respect and integrity and honesty. Because, and, you know, we're, I always, anyone who gives notice, I always wish them well and go, hey, best of luck. Yeah. We're very happy for you. And the door is open here. If it doesn't, if it if, uh, if it doesn't work out over there, yep. we'll have you back. It can't happen when people walk out the door. You know? Right, yeah, absolutely. You know? And it, it's just a bad habit I see in Memphis that needs to change, and will only change when everybody everybody agrees to the same set of everybody rules. Everybody does right? the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, DJ, I really appreciate you coming in. It's been an absolute blast to talk to you, to hear your story, to hear hear what your plans are, how you've navigated through COVID. We're really excited here at Patrick Accounting and Works to work with you for the past multiple years. 
and just wish you the best of luck in the future. So I appreciate you coming on and being a part of our podcast today. Delighted. Slaunch you. Thanks, everybody. Um, if you are listening for the first time, we would love to have you subscribe to the podcast wherever you I listen to podcasts on <laughs> Apple Music or Spotify, wherever it may be. Click the subscribe button and join us each week as we talk about ways to get one step better. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. Head over to works.com for webinars, blogs, and more content. That's works, W-H-I-R-K-S.com. See you next time.